Well, hello and welcome back to the uh, Forever Blue podcast. Wow, we've had a summer and, uh, and now we've got fans back and now we've got the podcast back. And if you didn't see the vlog that I did from Wembley, then the vlogs are back as well. And thanks very much to Charles Louis Group, who are the sponsors of this podcast. Then this is back for the season. And just to let you know who the Charles Louis Group are, they're an advisory business. They advise on uh, development finance, mortgage advice and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company offering buy to let, first time buyer and moving home mortgages, but they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent, an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. And you can find them on Twitter. You'll see me tweeting out a link to them and you can search them, Charles Louis. They're not posh or anything like that the base near Berry. if you give them a call they'll give you an advice on any of those subjects now we've got three guests tonight um we have as our star guest who is always a pleasure to have with us uh neda manua former city player of course um and uh, well now uh, pundit everywhere he's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger he's going to be presenting match of the day before we, we finish with him I told him he'd be a star when he came on the podcast uh, a few months ago. We've also got Louisa, uh, who is a regular on the Forever uh, Blue podcast, and Harlan will be joining us, although he's got he's, he's in for a bit and then he's got to go. So we record this in, in all in one take. In fact, Harlan is joining us now, so we record this all in one take. So first of all, uh, Nadim, thanks very much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. You obviously watched the game, uh, the Community Shield. We're going to ask this to the other two as well. But what do we learn from that? Because as far as I'm concerned, it was a pre-season friendly and at least half of City's senior squad were missing, weren't they? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I think for Leicester City, it was a big occasion because it's the first time, you know, taking part. Oh, no, to be fair, they've won the league before, so they've played in that game before. But you could see it meant a lot to them. Whereas for City, the team that they put out is the best team they could put out in that moment. You know, it's good to see people like Knight getting on and having a game and Oduze. Uh, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's, is it Oduze? Cole, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Oduze. Sam, Adolze, yeah. Adolze, yeah. And Cole Palmer and stuff like that getting a game. That's that's great to see. But, you know, let's let's be very, very clear about it. If City would have had a full preseason, then chances are you'd be seeing more senior players because that's not ultimately going to be the team that would win City a league, potentially. But some of those guys, you know, they're maybe a week, two weeks away. So, yeah, it was... It, it's, it's, it must be tough to go to Wembley and want to win, but know that you're also trying to be part of a process as well because Wembley always feels so definitive. But ultimately, like I say, I don't, I don't read too much into it, but it was good to see some youngsters getting a game, getting a chance to play for City on the biggest occasion. And they did well as well. But I think the business starts next week and then we'll probably start to see some of those players who we've not seen so far get back into the team and seeing a more sort of like solid structure for them. I know City lost the game, but there were positives in that. I mean, you tell me what you think the positives were from your perspective. Um, I think it depends if you want to see it as like a pre-season game or just see it as just as a game to start the season. I think there were certain people who were getting a run out, certain people who looked comfortable overall. You know, I didn't mind, to be honest, seeing Rodri and Fernandinho in at the same time. So it looks like there's that sort of variation going forward. Um, Myers at times looked really good, really comfortable. Obviously, Grealish got a chance to step out on the field as well. And even though it wasn't, as I say, uh, didn't feel like a game which City had a sort of must-win mentality too, 
as I say, some people have gotten a game, gotten game time there. And say, for example, Zach Stefan, I think is a really good goalkeeper. And to see him get more minutes, it's the type of thing whereby next week I wouldn't be surprised if he was playing. And that's good because now he's played a series of games getting in there. And, you know, this you, you can't necessarily say it's competition for places in this moment because everybody's in a different position. But ultimately, some of the more senior players who are getting game time, I think they look comfortable overall. And should they be able to start the season, wouldn't surprise me if some of those guys kept their place in the team. Jack Grealish was obviously the headline. Um, the people around me, as soon as he started warming up, got very excited mm-hmm. when he came on. I think it got the loudest cheer. Although, to be fair, when Bernardo Silva came on, he mm-hmm. got a pretty loud cheer as well. Um, what, what's your overall view of the Jack Grealish signing and you know, the, the pros and cons, uh, if, we, if we look at it both sides, of what he's going to bring to City? I think um, the fact that City are able to bring in one of the most exciting players in England at this moment in time and in the Premier League is, you know, it's a big statement to be able to do that. And it's interesting because I think as he comes into City now, at this moment in time, I don't think that he's the best player at City. I don't think he's really that close to being the best player at City, but he's got a ton of potential. And I think if he ends up being one of the best players for City, I think we have an incredible talent in him in that side because he's going to have to learn about playing the game in a different way. I think for what it is to play for City now, every game is a must win. You know, if you don't win a couple of games, it's a crisis. You know, you're playing under true, true pressure, not a case of all the performances were okay. Like, no, there's a case of you play well, you stay in the team. If you stay in the team and you're playing well, you're probably winning games. You get a chance to play in the biggest games come the end of the season, because for the last few years, City have had a ton of huge games come the end of the season. So I think it's, it's a pro to think that after having won the league, you've strengthened by bringing in somebody who is that exciting. As I say, the con is the fact that now you've got to pick maybe three or four players out of a pool of six to play on a week-to-week basis. And I can tell you myself, to not be one of those main guys can be very frustrating. And that's coming from me. So imagine if, for example, you see a particular game day and on the bench you've got, say, Sterling and Foden or something like that, who would ultimately, in my opinion, get into any team in the Premier League. So it's... um. I say the con is just maybe the timing, maybe the timing, because there's a lot, there are a lot of riches there. And I feel like there are going to be some people who are disappointed. And even like looking bigger picture, I looked at Ferran Torres in the summer for Spain. I thought he looked great. So I'm expecting a big year from him. But then somebody comes in, it's like, well, maybe this isn't going to be the year for him. But I'm sure City have a plan. And hopefully it's a good plan that will be able to bring in as many of those players as possible and to keep building for the future. So I think that's basically the way that I see it for now. Louisa, from your perspective, what did you learn from watching that Community Shield? Um, I'm always of the opinion that um, I like to just put out the strongest squad first of all, try and get at least one, two goals in, and then you can play around, mess around, bring anybody in as a sub that that you fancy bringing in. Um, Those young boys are an absolute credit to that academy, so let me start, start with that. They have come in as they're not a B team in a way they have come in to those three preseason friendlies and, and played amazingly, you know, and if you've not watched those, those preseason friendlies, then I totally advise you to, to watch them, even like the highlights, you know, if, you, if you're not subscribing um, because you can absolutely see the potential, you know, and Edozi is 
to me is replicating Sane already, you know, down that left with that speed and that accuracy on his first touch, which is something that Phil Foden has, you know, and to see um, Knight, you know, to see Palmer um, playing like they've been in the team for months. Um, but go back to my first point, this is silverware. This was a trophy. Um, it, this wasn't a pre-season friendly like the other three were. So we, we might not win any other silverware this season we can't take that for granted so we should have gone for that as though it was an FA Cup or you know as though it was the league title as far as I'm concerned so I feel that those boys should have perhaps been brought on as subs and we should have gone with the strongest lineup to start with you know to go with Bernardo to go with um the other subs that were brought on later on um Greel I mean maybe not Grealish is brand new give him a bit of a chance but Rodri you know because when he came on the pitch he made a massive difference but then in saying that let's say some positives uh Stefan oh, excellent I mean come on again Against Vardy, one of the greatest players in the Premier League, uh, you know, for a while. And the saves that he made against Vardy were just unbelievable. So, yeah, absolutely earned his place. Um, but then. I must, I must say, and I'm sorry to jump in, but Pepper on the press conference on Friday did explain that players were coming back. Uh, different stages. We've seen the pictures that the club have tweeted out of different players arriving back for training. They're at different stages of their development, if you like, in preparation for the new season. And some, some of those who've come from further afield, we saw the absence of all the England players um, and, of course, the Brazilians. Some have to go into 10 days of isolation when they come back. We don't know what, what's going on behind the scenes. So I don't think, in all fairness, that Pep had much of an option in terms of the team that he selected. And he's already explained. And he did say to anybody who was going down to Wembley, he would be playing an academy team. And I, for one, was really impressed by that transparency and honesty and that people knew what to expect. Um, and now he's saying that it's possible that City, I'm not quite, maybe I'm paraphrasing him, but that City might make a slightly slow start to the season because everybody won't be ready. So there are mitigating circumstances, aren't there? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And I think for, for any any of the podcasts we do, we don't, we're not privy to anything that goes on really behind the scenes. You know, all, all I haven't seen those interviews with Pep. So all I can do is just go off what I've seen, what I observe, and then what I want myself just as a fan. Um, yeah, and, and it's fair enough that they might have needed longer prep and the, the young boys have played three pre-season friendlies. Um, and yet there were people around me who, when... Uh, Ian Atchell scored that goal. The second that ball hit the back of the net, they stood up and walked out the ground. And I thought, hang on a minute, this is a pre-season game, you know, um, against Leicester City, who had more of what you might call their first team players playing. Um, that, that really puzzled me because... Leicester are very equal to us. You know, they have been for a few years now. I think that that if anyone if anyone is is as similar to us as they can be, it is Leicester. And, and I have a lot of time for that team. I, I admire what they've done at that club. And I think that they've built an incredible team. They're not just a one-hit wonder like some Premier League, you know, champions have been. They're here to stay and they've got some fabulous players. And I was very, very, I don't want this to sound really negative and really horrible because it isn't. You know, we played, I mean, I'm loving the Cancelo and um, Mares sort of links up link ups at the minute and the way Cancelo is actually getting forward and getting into the box and 
hitting balls you know might not be scoring but hey one of them's going to go in at some point um but as I said that Edozi we he's got to get some first team plays this season and not just you know cup matches he's got to get in the Premier League because this guy this young lad is so special um but you know some of the others are yeah no I loved it I mean it was a shame we lost <laughs> typical city <laughs> But we wouldn't be City if, uh, you know, we didn't sort of trip up every now and again. But yeah, gutted we've not got a, a trophy to lift. But the display overall, just admirable. You know, we played really well and uh, I enjoyed it. It was good stuff. I saw Trevor Sinclair put a tweet out that said uh, it might just be the sort of refocusing Losing the game might be a little refocusing moment for City. I'm not sure they really need that, but I know what he means. Um, and, you know, Leicester winning that, I, I saw a lot of very happy Leicester fans afterwards. I was quite pleased for them, really, if I'm being honest. Um, ni- nice for them to win a trophy. And I don't mean that in a patronising way. Harlan, what did you, what did you gain from, from that game down at... Uh, by the way, welcome back to the podcast. What did you make of, uh, nice uh, of the, the game at Wembley? Uh, it's disappointing to lose the first game of the season, Ian. Um, I always see the Charity Shield, the Community Shield, whatever we, we call it nowadays, as the final game of the previous season rather than the first game of a new season. And I think the reason why I do that is because you have to qualify to play in it. Um, you know, there was that one exception the other year when Liverpool played in it because we'd won everything, uh, which was quite unique. Uh, but other than that, I think you've got to qualify for it. So I see it as like the last game of the previous season in terms of actually being able to uh, actually being able to play in it um, and with regards to that I I, I, I I don't know it is a pre-season game so to speak in many people's eyes and if I'm honest with you I don't think it's going to have any bearing on that first game against Tottenham at all I don't think we're going to be negative or, or lacking in confidence now going into that game because of the result um, it would have been great to get a win, of course, and get another shield in our in our trophy cabinet. Um, but I'm not absolutely distraught with it. I'm more annoyed with with how we we lost the game in the final 25 minutes. And and you know, jump on me if you wish. Um, you know, I don't absolutely despise the lad. Uh, I think he's a very good footballer in certain um, you know periods of games, and very good when we're winning, and very good when we're three and four nil up. Quite a luxury player. And I'll go again. Uh, when Rodri came on the pitch, I disagree. Uh, I thought he weakened us in midfield in terms of the attacking um, speed and the, the way that we kind of tried to progress up the pitch. And for me, it became a lot more negative and then we invited pressure on ourselves. And that, for me, is where the goal came from. It was a, it was a, a poor pass selection from Rodri, in my opinion. Put pressure on Ake. Yeah, bad touch. Got it caught under his feet. Lost the ball in a penalty. 1-0. We lose. Um there was more reasons why we lost the game. We didn't score enough goals. We didn't create enough clear-cut chances or, shall I say, put enough in the back of the net. But for me, I'm not going to start losing sleep over it. I'm looking forward to Tottenham next week, a game which I'm pleased to say I'm going to, um, you know, alongside yourself as well. And I'm, I'm very optimistic for the season. Well, I know you've not got a lot of time to be with us tonight, Harlan, so I'll ask you um, the question about Jack Grealish as well. Um, people were very excited of him coming on. Obviously, the deal's done now. Uh, £100 million. We saw the CEO of Aston Villa explaining all that, um, which I retweeted on Twitter, which I thought, again, was very um, refreshing and transparent, really, to explain it all. Um, Now, he is a special player. I mean, I've said that 
you know, he has a, a talent which sometimes feels as if it's being coached out of some, some players. So he is a special individual. How do you think he'll fit in to Pep's team? And, and all the priority of, to have been a striker, because after the, the, the vlog that I put, put up on YouTube, many of the early comments were, you know, City need a striker desperately. And obviously I'll ask Nadam about this in a minute, but while we've got you, you know, it, I'm not saying that Jack Grealish can't add quality, but we have lots of talented, creative midfield players. Should the priority have been a striker first? I know City's still in for Haaland, you know, and maybe Tammy Abraham, and they were linked with Danny Ings until, of course, he went elsewhere. Um, what, what, what do you think? Is are you excited by Grealish, and or have City gone down the wrong avenue to begin with? No, I trust Pep. He, uh, he he wanted Grealish. Uh, I've wanted Grealish for two years. He was a player that I I pinpointed as as a player that could add to the quality that we've already got and bring something different. Uh, again, like Foden, street footballer. Uh, in my opinion, uh, Foden has still got a lot of developing to do. There's lots of things he needs to define. For me, overall, I'd say that I think Grealish at his absolute best. And listen to what I'm saying. His absolute best, Grealish at top form, scoring goals, assisting. And, and playing really well, fully sharp. I think he's better than Fordham right now in terms of where he's at right now. Um, it's not a competition between the two of them. I'm not, oh, yes, Grealish is better than Fordham and ha, ha, ha. Not like that. They both are players, so I'm, I'm happy to have both. Um, Grealish gives us another player now that can carry the ball, that can um, he can do David Silva-esque stuff. Not saying he's David Silva or he'll ever be David Silva, but he can. you could play him in that, in that three. Uh, next to De Bruyne in front of Fernandinho Rodri or Gundogan even in a holding role and he'll give you reverse passes he'll give you flair he'll give you you know fantastic uh, close control uh, dribbling ability um, like I said that street raw footballing talent and then you could play Ford on the left or you could play him out on the left hand side and I'm not overly fixated on bringing in a striker now the, the way I saw us play last season here with the false nine um the way we attacked, the prowess we showed, the goals we scored, the freedom that we were able to, to, to enjoy, it doesn't seem like as much of a problem for me now because we are still scoring goals. Do we need a striker in the long run? Yes. Um, but I do think Fran Torres can fulfil his potential in, in a false nine role or as, a, as a, an out-and-out out number nine with a, with a bit less height than, than say, your Kane or your Haaland. Uh, but I'm very excited with Grealish. He's a terrific player. He's someone I admire. He's someone I like a lot. And he's someone that I think will bring us many joyous moments as a Man City player. Where do you stand, Nadam, on the, you know, the frustration that some fans feel that the number one priority wasn't to go for a striker and that still a striker is the, the top priority? Um, I think I'll start by saying the window's not closed yet, so there's still time for that. But as far as the Grealish thing goes, there's a figure which needed to be met to make it happen. I think if there's a striker out there that had the same sort of situation, I think we'd City probably would have had a striker by now. You know, but for trying to deal with that, and if we're talking about Kane, especially with a Spurs side led by Daniel Levy, you know, the complications are almost endless. Um, but again, you know, City did very, very well last season without a nine. And I, but I just think this year, and maybe going forward, the thing that takes them to that whole new level again is somebody who will finish the season and score 20, 25 goals. Because with that, it doesn't necessarily need to be a nine, but that, I feel like that's the sort of number which will define success, especially when you're looking at 
say Chelsea potentially bringing in a Lukaku, I think will do 20, 20, 25 goals. I think a fully fit Cavani for United might get 20, 25 if he's rolling. Um, the Liverpool guys tend to do that year in, year out. And for City, it sort of takes a bit of pressure off the other people when you know that you have somebody, as we had with Sergio for so many years, who can just find a way to just... City don't... If you have a striker that can do that, you don't need to be playing well and dominating games to win games. Something can just happen, you know? And I think... Um, with that type of player on the field, it brings the fear into the opposition because they know they have to be alert for the whole time. So I personally would, you know, I would like to see somebody like a new striker potentially come in that can do that. But again, in Pep we trust because he just spent the last nine months showing to us that you don't need Sergio Aguero to win a Premier League title. And that blows my mind considering how good he was for the club. A lot of fans though, listening to this will still feel, you know, I mean, I'm not doubting what you're saying and, uh, and, I think that as well, that it's all about this unpredictability of the tack and having the threat coming from everywhere. So I'm not sure having a an out-and-out number nine is what City need. But when you watch the game, I know it was only the community shield and it was half a team and everything. But the one thing that was missing was somebody to sort of turn a goal in and to, to you know, to, to produce something like Sergio would have done. Mm-hmm. Um so that's why people get frustrated. If City had scored two goals yesterday, or if at Tottenham next weekend, they scored two goals in the game without an out-and-out striker, nobody will care then. But as soon as the goal doesn't go in, then the first thing everybody does is the default position is, why haven't we not got a goal-scoring striker, don't they? That, that's, yeah. that's football fans. Yeah. But you're right. That's exactly how it is. And even times gone by when, say, City didn't have a striker on the field and he created a ton of chances and missed them. You know, it still feels different to a time when you've got a striker on the field, create a ton of chances and he missed them. You know, you're looking at the game in a different manner, even though it's essentially the same thing. Like if you don't have a nine and you have a lot of chances and they fall into quality players, surely that's a better sign than, say, maybe having a nine and not creating chances anyway. But, you know, we, we sort of fantasise about, like, Sergio scored 260 goals. And in my mind, I think, feel like he only had 270 chances to do it. You know, <laughs> but clearly that's, that's that's not necessarily the way. But um, I don't know. I think in, in Pep and in the recruiting team and in City in general, you know, I do trust them. And I think that they'll, they'll have a plan in play. And I doubt they'll be frustrated come September 1st or 2nd or whenever it is. Because, you know, they do have time to try and fix any issues which they believe they have. It's quite unusual what City have done, isn't it? I mean, the press conference on Friday, Pep, for the first time that I can remember, and I've watched pretty much all these pre-match press conferences, he was willing to talk about a City target. You know, whenever he's been asked about Kane or whoever it might be in the past, he's always said, oh, he plays for that team. You know, I don't talk about players playing for the team. In this particular case... He said, well, yes, you know, we are interested in Kane and lots of other people are. So he has admitted it. So there's a bit of politics going on, which obviously you know about and you've alluded Mm. to. But is he right to to sort of put so much effort into signing these these two players? He's got one of them and now the other one quite publicly um, rather than to do what this club have done in the past, which is to have a few... I mean, I know Tammy Abraham has been mentioned as a potential Mm -hmm. other alternative, and so too was Danny Ings. But it feels to me as if now everything's in the the Harry Kane basket. Yeah, it does seem that way. But I think the reason for that is because we've just seen Sergio Aguero leave Manchester City. You know, so straight away you think to yourself, well, obviously City need a striker. And then you think, well, he scored 260 goals in 10 years. So obviously need a really good striker, it feels like. So then when you're looking through the league for people who have that sort of calibre, 
who might be available, who might be at a club which perhaps doesn't suit their ambition. You know, the story kind of writes itself. And I'm not saying that he definitely will come or anything like that, but in, people can see the logic in City trying to get Harry Kane to come to them to try and take them to the next level to replace Aguero and for Kane to step up and try and win something. So, as I say, it speaks for itself. And I think if Pep kept trying to dodge the question, considering it's the only news headline that's going on in the Premier League at this moment in time, like you'd be thinking, well, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this when it's so, so obvious? Like people, Kane hasn't arrived for training. This has happened. Kane says this. Someone from City said that. Buyout clause, Levy, blah, blah, blah. Like you could sometimes you can't escape it. You can try and be diplomatic, but the it speaks for itself. If you won't answer the question, someone else will answer it for you. Because in the end, as I say, this just feels so, so obvious. He didn't duck the Messi question, but what he did say was that at the point everybody said, well, are you going to go for Messi? Well, it's only been revealed in the last 24 hours and we've only just started to take it in. Um, it seems that Messi, after his big emotional goodbye speech with Barcelona today, might be heading to PSG. They've certainly made the early running Um and by the time people listen to this, it might all be done because I think PSG wants to do it as quickly as possible because there's a little bit in the back of my mind, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but uh, that maybe this big speech today and the big announcement that he's leaving is actually part of a tactic to try to make La Liga and their president yeah. do some sort of U-turn on letting him stay at Barcelona. I mean, it is such a political thing, yeah. football, isn't it, Nadam? <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. And I heard that from the get-go. As soon as it was announced that he was leaving, most of the people I know who are involved in media, journalists and so on, like they were saying there's a good chance that this might be a bluff. And then time passes and I'm, I'm hearing, well, but he's definitely gone to PSG and said, no, it might be a bluff. But I suppose the difference is now, for Messi to be involved in the bluff, I think that's when I'm not really jumping on board with that because he's not doing crocodile tears at the stage talking about his time at the club. Now that felt very, very genuine to me. And to be honest, you know, I here's here's my thing, yeah. So if he would have come to City, I think he's an exceptional player. Like he's probably been my favorite player of all time. But if City would have gotten him after getting Jack Grealish for hundred million pounds, like I've, I can hear it because I'm in the press and so on. So many people hate Man City. They hate Man City. And I think if he would have come, like it would have been, it would have been a wrap. Every time we were not winning the game, you would have found millions upon millions of people saying, ah, ha ha, laugh at City and all this stuff. So in some ways, I'm glad that he's not come because I feel like we can still focus on being a club where some people want to play for and they like the way that the football is played. And now like, you know, casually, some people like PSG, but there's a lot of people who think, well, PSG have got Neymar and Mbappe and Messi playing up front, and they could be three of the biggest deals that there are in like world football history. So you start asking questions, well, finances, this, that, and the other. So I don't know. Uh, as I say, I would have loved to have seen him play for City in the past, but in this particular moment, like it's heartbreaking seeing but leave Barcelona. I'll be honest with you. Like that's I, they always have the narrative. Ronaldo, he goes wherever he's successful, wherever. But Messi is the Barcelona guy. He is that club. And now he's gone. It's like, well, um, I don't really know what to say next. But in some ways, as I say, it would have been nice if he was a city in a different sort of circumstance. But in some ways, I think the pursuit for a nine is more important for City in this moment for the long term because I think overall. The club do that quite well. They do look for the long term instead of bringing in people who perhaps are a bit older, regardless of how good they are. On the basis that that number nine, Louisa, is 
looks like Kane as the number one. Um, how do you feel about the pursuit of Kane? And I mean, obviously, the the one thing we haven't talked about yet, which we can now introduce, is whether or not a deal for Kane might introduce players leave either uh, mean that players are going to leave as part of a deal or to finance it. Because again, Pep at the press conference said, you know, it only cost us. £40 million really for Jack Grealish because of the players we sold from the academy and the fee we got for Jadon Sancho and all the bits and bobs, the Sane money is only in this year's finances. So uh, his argument is that we've only really spent £40 million on Jack Grealish to get Kane, if the figures we're hearing are sort of, you know, right, 100 plus maybe another 30 maybe another 40, depending on where this settles. Does that end up being Gabriel Jesus going to Spurs or going elsewhere? Bernardo Silva going to Spurs or going elsewhere? Even Merrick Laporte has been mentioned as one who could be on the way out. Um, Mendy um, it seems to have been somebody that it feels to me that City are happy to let go of the right offer comes along, although somebody's got to make that offer for that to happen. But it looks like three or four potential make weights, all for Kane. Um, so what's your verdict on Kane? Um, well, I don't know. I've never, <laughs> Sometimes I kind of think a player sort of lives and you've just been saying about Messi. Messi is Barcelona. Barcelona is Messi. And, you know, is Kane Spurs? Is Spurs Kane? Sometimes a player is just a club and that's the end of it um i what i want for a club apart from harland to come <laughs> just to name someone specifically um the, the rest of the players across the world i don't want to name anybody anybody else because what i feel like we need is just somebody very special and we've been dancing around this on these podcasts for quite some time about feeling like there's something just missing there's, there's just a small element of this cake that, that we've got this recipe you know we're trying to get this recipe for this amazing tasting cake and there's just something missing from this cake um and I feel like Aguero was that ingredient for the longest time and then injury you know put that away and then last year put that away we need some spirit and we need some personality in this team and in this club. We need someone very special and very exciting, as well as somebody who can play uh, football and um, score goals. So whether that's an outright somebody that's officially a striker or whether that's somebody that's part of this false nine, I, I don't care about that stuff. I just want somebody very special that when they get that ball at their feet, they're going to turn that into a goal. Because Isn't that going to be Jack Grealish, though? That's potentially why he's come, right? But is it? We don't know yet. Um, I wasn't that convinced by Jack Grealish. You know, I know Haaland has been going on about him for the longest time. And again, with him, with Villa, you know, who's been there, what, 14 years? Is he Aston Villa? Is Aston Villa him? Will he settle in? Will he settle down? I'll tell you something I, I was quite impressed with, though, um, with, if, again, watching the um, fil short films on City on the website is his arrival to the club um you know not probably not this um 
I don't know what to, I don't know what to say without it sounding horrible because uh, I don't want to be horrible. He's a nice guy. It's just sort of cocky. You know, he hasn't come with that kind of attitude, even though sometimes I feel like he can be a little bit like that on the pitch. He actually came quite humble and um, a little bit like a scared. You know, everyone else has started school and he's he's moved from another area. And he's like a month late and he's like, oh, who is, who is everybody? Oh, you know, I'll be quiet. No, I'm not going to be loud. And he's come in actually really humbly and really nicely. And when he played when I'm, he surpri played. I'm surprised you're saying that actually about Jack Grealish because the you know the the publicity that they did was him sat in what looked like um you know um a throne uh, in this sort of laid back sort of way and I think the little video that went with him was him pulling his socks right up to his knees and then shaking his head and pushing it down a bit so that certainly didn't seem like a humble video did it for him to come in on no, um, that's part of some of these behind the scenes, actually, of them just orchestrating that. You know, that's a producer. That's somebody trying to tell a story for marketing purposes, you know, for promotional purposes. But if you actually watch the whole thing around that, when he was in that chair and in that room, or when he walked into the dressing room of, you know, of the team at the Etihad Stadium and his shirt was hanging there and his face, you know, was a picture. It was like a little child going into a sweet shop and when he saw that number 10 and he said I did not know I was going to be number 10 and that actually humbled him and I, I saw it and I'm not whether that was for show I don't know there's a producer there they're trying to tell a story no, no the producers are good to be fair but that that was an actual reaction because from what I've heard about him speaking to Jolie and speaking to Micah and so on like Jack Grealish is a really good guy that's one of the first things which matters, I think, when you come to a new football club. And then to put it into context again, for lots of players around the league, no matter how good they are, we've reached a point where coming to City is a dream move for a lot of people. So when they arrive, it's not a case of, you know, what they've done before is the most important thing ever. They know that it's a different situation. It's a different ball game. They see a manager, for example, who's won everything, who's managed some of the best players in the world. They see a bunch of players who at times last year, you know, they were unplayable and for years gone by have been unplayable. You see great infrastructure in terms of the stadium, the training ground, the ambition, the ownership. And when you come in, as I say, like it's, it is humbling because it's so different. City and maybe one or two others are very different to a lot of the other clubs that are around. Like you play in the same league, but it's a whole different experience. So like for him to come in, no matter how good he's been at Villa, like the expectation changes now. It's not a case of, can you finish in the top 10? It's like, you have to be at your best to even be able to make a team. And then if you're not making the team, you're going to be missing out on some of the biggest games that are available in club football. And that there to me, like, as I say, that's why a lot of people you'll see when they come through the door, they are humbled, especially the ones who come through England. Because for, say, some of the other guys, you know, they don't play City week in, week out if you're coming from on the continent. But when you do play them week in, week out and for years and years in a row, you get a feel for what they're about and, you know, they are a juggernaut. So, yeah, I, I see that. I see where you're coming from and I, and I do like that. And I, and I think he will be successful because he seems like he's got the right stuff in him to, to be able to step up to the challenge and understand that, like, this is right now playing for City is like a whole different experience to anything else.
he said that he said that um he got a sense of the club just from the the you know Kyle and John and um Phil and you know uh, uh, the England and and Raz you know he said he got a feel for the club through them the way they all talk about their own clubs when they're together training for England and he said he partners up with Phil you know it's a bit like when you're at school and he said you know when I'm looking for someone to do a, a one-two with it's Phil I look for and when he came to the club he was like where's little Phil is little Phil here you know it's like his buddy is mate and and what he said was that he just couldn't turn this offer down to not only play with these guys he plays alongside at England but to play for Pep um and he said one of the things I mean he put some tweet out a couple of years a few years ago about mm. yeah wanting United to win something um and and I think that can be just squashed straight away because of the admiration he's got for Manchester City and that's probably why he put that tweet out and he said he said when you play against City he said they're you're, they're frightening he used that word frightening because of the the way they play and he's got the biggest admiration for Kevin De Bruyne and he you know he can't wait to play alongside him and when he met Fernandinho just in the the corridor uh, not the corridor I think one of the reception areas there at, at City you know it was you could just see it was absolutely genuine as you said um and and I just, and the one thing he said, I don't want to forget to say this, um, which is something that we all strive as fans to keep hold of is the fact that it's a family club and that he has said already on day one, he felt like he was coming into a family and a family club. And that's what I, I love the fact that, you know, this guy's come from a, you can imagine how this guy's feeling 14 years at the same club, his whole playing career, you know, his debut was against Manchester city. What a lovely sort of full story, the circle, a full circle story that is as well. Um, but you know, for him to, it's a bit cathartic, isn't it? For him to have just come a bit of a full circle himself and to join this club. And um, when he came on that pitch yesterday, he fit straight in. Absolutely. I don't know if anybody else felt it, sensed it. It was just like he'd been at the club for a couple of years from what I could see. Got straight stuck in. Harlan was right about, you know, keeping that ball by his feet. This is what we need. We need players that are not losing the ball, no matter how many they might be surrounded by, the control and keeping hold of that ball, keep it in the box. And I would like to move him to the middle a little bit as well. So Pep, you know, if you're listening, then, um, you know, just uh, do that. I think the excitement that you've reflected in what you've just said is how City fans are feeling at the moment. I think uh, when he makes his first home appearance against Norwich, which is just under two weeks away, he's going to get a massive ovation. Obviously, when he goes back to Villa, it might not be quite as <laughs> friendly for him. But in terms of him playing for City, I think he's going to get a lot of positivity uh, and City will tap, no doubt, tap into that. In a more general sense, uh, uh, I just wonder what, what you two think about um you know this isn't a criticism it's just an observation the crowd at Wembley was 45,000 which uh, seemed to, to me to have slightly more Leicester fans than City fans and if you look at the history of the attendances at the Community Shield it's generally quite a lot more than that uh, when City played Liverpool, when City played Chelsea, and even before City were involved, or in other seasons when they weren't involved, the numbers were a lot higher. Um, I just wonder what what you think that might be. Is Covey going to play a part? Is there a is there a hesitancy, or is it 
um, a city were city fans thinking, well, it's an expensive day out. We go to Wembley quite regularly. Uh, I, I just wonder what what was behind all that. Um, what do you think, Naden? Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of all those things, to be honest. And to add to it as well, the city have paid the price in terms of being successful because when those euros were, were being staged we were looking at five to ten players who took part in either the semi-final or the final so those players ultimately are going to have to be in a position where they're going through a different stage of their re re-entry into the next season you know for example you can look at someone like pedri who's just finished in the olympics yesterday but the the spanish season's like a couple of weeks away but every time someone goes away, they're entitled to have a break in between seasons. So you're looking at three weeks minimum. That tends to be the number. And then when you come back, they try and bring you in in a way whereby you won't feel burnout at key stages in the season. So for City, that's why they have been having those preseason games when they had with the people that they've had. But now it's a squad full of international level players in a summer where there was lots of international competition and successful players at that. So they find themselves in a position where the preseason setup, especially off the back of, um, you know, the last season being so long and the COVID situation means you don't have your full team together. In fact, I doubt they've all had a full session together in general. So I think the City fans, in my opinion, probably got a sense of the fact that you were unlikely to see the players that you love the most playing in that particular game. I think if maybe that was the case, then maybe would have seen a, on paper a stronger City team and it'd be part of the process to get ready for the season. It feels like the season's going to start now. But as crazy as this may sound, with the fact that Spurs is a week away, it's not even a guarantee that there might be four or five changes for that game because there's still players who haven't played enough minutes really to be able to guarantee their sort of safety and best abilities going into that match. And that is, as I say, as a consequence of having a team which is so successful for their national sides. And, you know, so many great individuals within it. So I think that probably played played a part in it as well, because if if they would have played, say, Preston or they played Barnsley and you were seeing, say, eight or nine first-team players or, say, Kate, Kevin De Bruyne was playing in one of those games for, like, 15 minutes, then you know the progressions then to a 45, then to a 60, then to a 90, but you knew you weren't going to get that team. And Pep was very honest about that. And it was, a, I think, for me, in this in this moment, in history, I think people going up to stadiums anyway, you know, credit to them after having so much time off because not everybody's comfortable enough to be able to just go back in there. So the fact that those people turned up is a great start. And if they felt good and encourages other people, then maybe we'll start to see sellouts soon. But I don't expect them straight away because it has been a very stressful 18 months, has it not, in terms of trying to essentially stay alive. So I think it, audiences or crowds are different now, especially different given the fact there was a Euros. And then even more so specific to City because all their team was playing in it, even playing in um, South American championships and stuff like that. But I think, I don't know. I don't think they disregarded it, but you know, people have got different motivations and there are a lot of factors there which make a big difference overall when you need to make the decision, are you going or are you not? Because say for me personally as well, like the fact we're talking about it being like a preseason game kind of shows the situation that we're in. Because if it wasn't, if everybody was back, you know, as someone said there, it's the start of the season. You know, you had your chance to get there. And that's what it was for Leicester, which is why the team which they put out was basically the strongest 11. It wouldn't surprise me if that was a starting 11 for the next game. So, yeah, I think there were lots of factors and people have got lots of different reasons. But I think when people are comfortable and when the team is at a place which is closer towards the 11, which we saw last year when they were at their absolute peak of their powers, 
wouldn't surprise me if the stadiums were full, out, full again. It's going to be interesting to see what the attendance is like for the Norwich game because um, a lot of people have deferred the season tickets for a year because of COVID anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that the club then said, announced that the season tickets were sold out. And then just recently they've said there are some more season tickets available. Um, the Norwich game is at three o'clock on a Saturday, so it's not going to be on live television. And just to add even more complication, which obviously won't affect you, Nadem, as a press man these days, <laughs> but I'm sure it'll it'll affect a lot of people listening to this. Uh, and I'm a season ticket holder, so I know what it's what it's going to be like or fear what it's going to be like. They've done away with season cards and now given you the option to either have a digital ticket on your phone or to print at home. Um, and I can't tell you, this is this is very truthful what I'm going to tell you now. My best friend has spent the last two and a half weeks, I'm not joking, ringing me twice a day because of how stressed he is about trying to get his ticket onto his phone because he's a bit, he's older than me and he's really anxious about it and he's finding the whole thing difficult. And my own wife, who's a season ticket holder, uh, said to me in, in her frustration the other day, I'm, I'm getting rid of, I don't want a season ticket, get, uh, it's too much. And I can't actually download her ticket onto her phone at the moment. And, and I'm going to have to try and seek some help to do that next week. So there's that as well. And I don't know if people saw, but there was a picture today of Liverpool. I think they must have introduced something fairly similar and had a game at Anfield and they had to put the kickoff back half an hour. And there were queues all the way down Anfield Road to get in. So it's clearly... Um, something that's going to stress people for sure. And that's all being introduced at a time when there are people with COVID anxiety who don't want to be in queues. I mean, at Wembley Way yesterday, um, I'd parked my car about a mile and a half away from the ground uh, deliberately, I might add, because I didn't particularly want to go on the underground where I knew I would be packed in with lots of other people. The irony was to get back to my car, I walked up Wembley Way and just doing the reverse route of what I'd done to get there. And there's some little steps next to Wembley Way. And that's what I'd come down. And when I got there, the police wouldn't, and stewards wouldn't let me go up the steps because, well, they said, you're going to have to go into the, the, the underground queue. And I said, the whole point was that I didn't want to go in the underground queue because of COVID. Well, you'll have to walk about another mile detour round another way. So... Uh, I'm just really sort of telling you tales of the frustrations of COVID and what people are facing, and we're now two weeks away. I mean, I I don't know if you can really comment on that, Nadem, because you're not going to have the digital ticket on your phone, but as a young man, you'll be used to doing that (laughs) at different places. But it's not easy for everybody, is it? No, 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 of course not. It's definitely not. It's definitely not at all. And I think that sort of adjustment is always going to be very, very difficult, especially when it's going against something which you've been used to doing for so long, and it seems so, so simple. I think, you know, in the end, it will, I think it will work out, but it's this implement that this phase of like implementing the change, especially at a time when there are other factors and other issues which are going on. I think if, uh, for example, the, uh, we weren't going through this COVID situation, then maybe there would have been pre-season games where they could test it and get more people involved and all that. But lo and behold, everything that could go wrong is going wrong at this moment in time. But I think there's probably good intent with what they're trying to do. And I'm sure... Well, I'm not sure, but I hope that they are offering help to people who don't know how to be able to how to cope with that. But it's it's going to be one of those tests again, whereby if you really want to go to the game, like you're going to have to be jumping through some hoops to make it happen. And if you don't want to, you've got plenty of reasons to not do. And I don't know. We'll 
we'll see. And I know you're going to get there because you love it. So that, that's a guarantee. And I'm sure there'll be thousands of other people like you, even if it said your ticket has to arrive on a leaf, a single leaf from somewhere out in China or whatever. I think you, you'll find a way. I think lots of other people will as well, but it's, it's not ideal. But as a press man, allegedly, allegedly, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. And I hope that everything is okay. And people that want to go, I hope they get the chance to go and everything goes seamlessly. But that's just me hoping. And I'm expecting the exact opposite. What do you think, Louisa? Um, I sort of think, yeah, they're they're dragging people, kicking and screaming, you know, into uh, the next century with all this technology. Um, but I I think that there are obviously a, a fair number of fans with, that won't think twice about it and think it's quite convenient. You know, they've already, well, maybe not in abundance right now but boarding airplanes with their phones and you know that kind of thing instead of a, a ticket or a, a piece of paper of confirmation um but um to be fair to the club they asked that i've not attempted it myself but they are saying that they're helping people as much as they can first of all by offering drop-in sessions um at around the club somewhere at the club uh, for anybody that doesn't live a million miles away you know to maybe teach them or, or help them do all of this stuff to get it on their phone and know how to use it uh, for a match um but then there is the issue of people not having an iphone 6 and old you know they might have a, 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 a nice phone like my mom she's got a 5s so she'd be exact she wouldn't be able to put it on her phone and she's not about to upgrade her phone because she's 72 um but then um they've also sort of said that you can still print at home so you can still and and then you only need to do that once a season so once you've arranged it with them to do it for whatever match you want to do with the first match of the season say then you don't have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it it's set up for the rest of the season and you just press print off your email you get an email seven days before the match you print your ticket off and you put it in your pocket and scan it as usual um they're also sort of saying if you don't have a printer uh you can go to the north stand and and just get it like normal they'll probably print out the, the ticket that you can print out if you have forgot your season ticket at home you know and and or sometimes see i used to share a ticket with my dad um and he didn't occasionally he'd send it up in just a normal envelope but it's risking losing that or risking you know it, whatever happening but sometimes it didn't turn up in time so i'd have to go to the stadium anyway and just go and get the the normal printout ticket before the for the game and scan it as normal so there are so many different ways in a way for you to still get to the game without having to stress about this phone business but if you do want to you know get it on your phone there's still support and there's still assistance to be able to do that um, um they're probably going to be overwhelmed by thousands of people wanting the help so there might be a bit of a backlog or a bit of a queue regarding that and you said your friends getting quite anxious i think the only thing that maybe they're missing because all i found all this just by searching on the website and googling and clicking on stuff but if you've not got a smartphone chances are you've probably not even got a computer or a laptop or something so you won't know any of this stuff so they have sort of said on the website they're going to be sending letters out to people explaining all this um but those those people sitting at home no doubt are getting anxiety because the season's you know just about to start 
And it's like, how do I get my tickets? How do I get to the match? And we do not need extra anxiety on top of all the anxiety that I think probably, I don't know, 90% of this globe has got right now post COVID, you know, pandemic and emerging back into real life and the world. And not forgetting there are people in countries that are still stuck, they're still locked down. You know, there are people with anxiety everywhere still because they're still not allowed, they still can't come out. Um, and I do want to talk about quickly as well, the attendance for Wembley. Um, I think that there's probably a mixture of anxiety and COVID related, you know, about coming into crowds like yourself, Ian. Um, there's also probably an element um, of, yeah, we might get to Wembley a couple of times this season. Let's save it till the end, till the bigger, bigger occasion. But we also have a lot of supporters clubs globally. And there's a fair amount of people that actually fly in from overseas that come to matches, come to Wembley, you know, come to the Etihad. And I'm sure that there were hundreds of thousands of people that were affected in that way, too, that would normally have maybe have come to Wembley as a bit of a once a year extravaganza or a little trip for them so um yeah so i just like to throw my two penneth in for that as well really yeah well that's that's all fair comment uh, let me bring the the podcast to a conclusion by asking the final question really because here we are on the eve of the new season uh, the second podcast won't be we, we generally record on sunday evenings but because city are at tottenham next sunday and i'll be down at tottenham and i won't get back to to manchester until very late on sunday night we'll record on monday evening ne uh, next week so a week tomorrow as we record this on a sunday evening so this is our pre-season podcast and I know that we're all blues or you know if Harlan was here he would he's, he's had to, to go now but if he was giving his prediction he would no doubt say City were going to win the league and I don't expect Harlan or Nadem or you Louisa or me to say anybody except City's going to win the league so perhaps that's the wrong question to ask so let me ask you how strong do you three see the threat from the other big clubs unless you see somebody coming very, very surprisingly like Leicester uh, did a few years ago, and who is the biggest threat? And for my thinking at the moment, having seen what Chelsea did at the end of last season and now adding Lukaku to the mix, to me, Chelsea are the, are the big threats. Um, what do you think, Nadam? Is, is Chelsea the, the big threat or a United Liverpool or maybe an Arsenal or a Tottenham or, or a Leicester going to spring a surprise? So I do think City will win it, but I think the competition is going to be far greater from the other guys because I think Liverpool have got a big boost with players coming back from injury. And I think Chelsea, if they get Lukaku, that is a huge signing again. And United have got a boost in the fact that they've brought in Sancho and with Varane at the back because it gives them a greater sense of confidence that they can defend well and so on. And this is somebody who's won so much with Real Madrid. So I think other teams are entering this year feeling that they've gained momentum. And City, with signing Grealish, that's that's a little bit of momentum as well. And, you know, if they sign a striker, again, great momentum. But I think the quality of the opposition has increased this year. So I, uh, I do think City will win it. But, you know, I said this before on, on a few programmes. I'm going to say it again. I think the biggest danger comes from within Manchester. And the reason I say that is they were second last year and obviously Chelsea kicked on and did what they did. But United were second last year. They didn't lose a game away from home last year. They managed to beat us a few times last year. And they're bringing in people who they think are going to take them to that next level. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep it in Manchester and hope that I'm wrong. 
and hope that and in saying that I think United will be probably the biggest threat in my opinion. And without a game played in the Champions League, and mm. bearing in mind that PSG could add Messi to their roster, can City win the Champions League? And if if they're going to go all the way, are PSG their biggest rivals this year? Do you know that that's the thing with the Champions League? You might never even get the chance to play against. Those teams won't necessarily even match up against each other. So when we talk about threats, like PSG might get knocked out by somebody, City might get knocked out by somebody else. You just don't know. And that's the thing about the Champions League, which is like, which is why you've got to give people so much credit when they do win it. Because being at the final last year, my biggest disappointment was that they didn't play well on the day and you never know when you'll be back again. You know, it's not like the opportunity at the start of a season to go and try and win a league or something like that. You literally don't know. In the group stages, you might get the group of death. You might get a team in the next round who were the most informed team in the whole galaxy. You know what I mean? You just don't know. So I think City enter it having, you know, maybe a chip on the shoulder from not performing in that game. But if PSG do get Lionel Messi and the fact they've added someone like a Sergio Ramos as well, who for, given his age, regardless of that, it's the fact that he's a true, true winner. And they weren't making semifinals anyway on the final of the year before. Yeah. Like they surely they have to be favourites. When you've got three of maybe the top 10 players in the world playing for your side. You've got like Di how- Maria as well, haven't you? Yeah, they? exactly. <laughs> We're talking about Di Maria coming off the bench and stuff like this. Like that's... I don't know. I think they surely they have to be favourites, but maybe in some ways I'm saying that just to take a bit of pressure off City so they can go into it as underdogs. But, you know, being an underdog to Messi and Mbappe and Neymar, you know, it's not really a true underdog title, is it? Because they're just a bit different. But I think they I think they can win it. But yet again, the tournament's probably going to show that for as well as you can play, you do need a bit of luck in there as well. You need to play well on the biggest occasions and as I say, that was my biggest disappointment last year. The performance wasn't there on the biggest moment. And I expected it to be there because they were so good for the previous uh, previous games through that. Louise, are you going for uh, City, obviously, to win the league, I'm assuming? So who's the biggest rival? Um, I, I sort of agree. I would really still like a striker to feel a bit more confident. You know, normally I'm full of bags of confidence, but um, I still think we need someone. Um, we definitely and we definitely need a bit more stability. Um, for even the players to believe it too, because I think when they're uncertain if they're even going to get a, a, you know, a. a a go you know if they're going to be on the pitch for a game I think that uncertainty can make them quite unstable so we need um, for me to feel fully confident ask me again at Christmas uh, before Christmas though before we get to that point yeah but gotta go for City because I'm a City fan um, I do agree. Um, I do think that um, United are definitely probably our number. They always have been, but yeah, they're definitely getting better again, aren't they? You know, last season they were really amazing. Um, but um, if anything, it's going to be United and Chelsea that are our biggest rivals for sure, 100%. But if we get a striker and nothing to worry about yeah we'll win it and I I kind of agree with the PSG thing there's nothing more you know sort of Grealish saying that we were frightening to play against throughout some of some of his um times against us I think with Mbappe and Messi and Neymar and Di Maria if he comes off the bench like game over they're just going to win it aren't they you know um but you know I I kind of feel that the last few years for Champions League and for Premier League there hasn't really been one outright dominant team that you would bet your house on 
you know, where, you know, back in the day, back years before you just said, absolutely, Barca are going to, Barca are going to win this this year, put my house on it. You know, there isn't a team, is there really, that's completely and utterly dominating. And apart just- from City. But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, listen. Because we didn't win last year, we didn't win that Champions League. So should have done, should have done, should have done. Yeah, anyway, won. thanks very much to Harlan who contributed earlier. Thanks very much to Louisa and, of course, to the star that is Nader Manua, <laughs> um, always. And I'm sure we'll have you back soon. Thanks very much to Charles Louis, uh, who have been our supporters on the, the podcast. The vlog, the match day vlog from Wembley is up on the YouTube channel, all under the moniker of forever blue and we will record our next podcast on the monday evening the day after the spurs game so uh, lots of excitement as we build up to the new season um lots to look forward to um football is back with fans hopefully for the entire season and there's no more uh, hiccups as it were because it was great to be back among the fans so many of them as well at wembley so thanks very much for, for listening for subscribing, being back with us again for a new season. And remember one thing, if you remember one, only one thing ever, it's great to be a blue.